following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. My daughter, Scarlett, is four, and she's in VPK, so she's in preschool. And over the last uh, several weeks in her classroom, they've been learning about the kindness bucket. The kindness bucket is something that everybody has. That everyone has their own kindness bucket. And her teacher has been telling her, when you say kind words to people, you're filling their kindness bucket. And so we've been having conversations about this. She comes home and, and uh, she's told us about the kindness bucket. And when you say a kind word that fills that person's bucket. And so there's been all this conversation about the kindness bucket. She'll say, Mama, I love you. And Rebecca will say, oh, Scarlett, that fills my kindness bucket. Thank you. And she's talked about this. And, and she started to take the kindness bucket really seriously, my, my daughter. And to the point where even uh, just a couple days ago, I hear a little scuffle happening in the other room. There's some fight over a toy taking place between her and her younger brother. And I hear her say, that does not fill my kindness bucket. <laughs> Through these tears. Okay, she takes it very seriously. She's now become a kindness bucket monitor, okay, in our house. And this is a really great illustration, the idea of a kindness bucket. It's so great for for these little children to think about, about words, how it actually fills people up. And words can actually spill people out as well. And this idea of a bucket, of how kind words um, fill us up. But you know, that's really um, a great illustration for kids. That's a great illustration for adults too, isn't it? It's a great illustration. And here's why that's such a powerful visual when it comes to kind words. It's not just because that helps us become nicer people, more polite people, a more well-behaved society. Why that is such a good illustration is because words are far more powerful than we give them credit for. Words are so much more powerful than we possibly can understand or than we appreciate. Words are very, very powerful. We're going to talk about this idea in part five of our series. We're looking in the book of the Bible called 1 Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app or you can open up your study guide, um, it looks like this if you have, if you have your study guide. Um, open that up. You're going to want to bring this with you each week so you can jot down notes. We are um, going to be looking at parting, starting on page 34 in your study guide. And um, we're talking about in, in 1 Thessalonians, we're looking at chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to look at verse 5 together this morning. Let me read 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 5. Here's what it says. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Now I just want to hang in this verse 
this, this morning, this one verse that he says. This is, who's the we here? This is a guy named Paul and his companions, Silas and Timothy. This is a letter written to a group of Christians in the city of Thessalonica. And they're writing in this section, and here's the section that we've been digging into in 1 Thessalonians. This section is a list of attributes of how they lived. They're saying things like, hey, you remember, this is what we did when we were there visiting you in Thessalonica. He just said, we never came to you with words of flattery, as you know. He's reminding them how they lived in that context. And they've said in the earlier chapter, chapter 1, we want you to be, continue to be imitators of us. The reason that they're describing this is how we lived among you is so that these, these Christians in Thessalonica can remember explicitly how they operated Paul, Silas, and Timothy when they were visiting Thessalonica so that they can live like that also. And that he's been going through these attributes and we've been taking them one at a time. He talked about attributes like courage. He said, we had boldness when we were there with you. He talked about being committed to truth. We stood by truth no matter what. He talks about not being people pleasers. We stood, we, we lived as if we were going to be judged by God, not by people. We had the fear of God, not the fear of man. They didn't live, they lived for a, God's approval, not anyone else, else's approval. We've been looking at these attributes, and you can call them all leadership attributes, but they're a little bit more. They're a certain type of leadership attribute. They're a little bit more than just leadership attributes. Because when Paul, Silas, and Timothy were in Thessalonica, when they were visiting there, there were some enemies that tried to make a negative statement about them, but it was actually a very positive statement. They said, these men who have turned the world upside down are here also. And so this is the very place Paul, Silas, and Timothy were called men who've turned the world upside down. So when they're saying this is how we lived, when they're giving the attributes of how they lived among them, they're giving the attribute of not only leaders, but a certain type of leader, a type of leader that's a world changer, a type of leader that is a catalyst for transformation, a type of leader that enters into a sphere of people, whether it's a friend group, a family, a neighborhood, a a workplace, a school, enters into that place and is a change agent, a catalyst for good, a movement starter. So they're describing these really big picture attributes of what it takes to have that level of impact in their sphere. And they're calling these Thessalonians and us as well, these Thessalonians, he's calling them to imitate them in being world changers. And so they're saying, so you're going to have to have courage if you're going to have that amount of of influence in your sphere. You're going to have to stand by the truth. You're going to have to not be a people pleaser. And we come to this next one. And it's kind of surprising as you're kind of running through this list, compared to all the others, this one might be kind of surprising that it made the list. Flattery. He said, we never came to you with words of flattery. That's kind of interesting. I mean, we all know that flattery is a bad thing, or typically it's a bad thing. We all know we shouldn't be given to flattery or be susceptible to flattery, but is it that important? I mean, it seems like that might be a secondary issue or something farther down the list. Flattery, not being given to flattery, is that important that it's one of these attributes of a change agent? I think this is actually a really important one for this list. I think this is a really important attribute for each one of us to consider 
if we have the intentions of entering into the, the spheres of people that we've been placed and having transforming power in there, being a change agent for good in that sphere, I think this is pretty critical. And it starts with this. He said, we were not given to words of flattery. The reason that this is so important boils down to the power, first and foremost, the power of our words. Many of you know that right now in California, there are wildfires that are, are raging right now. It, they, they say that it's got no sign of stopping. It's quickly becoming one of the deadliest and costliest fires in the state of California's history. It's a very, it's a, it's a horrible situation there. It's a, um, definitely a huge disaster that's over a billion dollars of damage so far. And so people are asking, man, how does a wildfire like that get started? And so they say, well, we're still figuring out, it's too soon to tell, but one of the things they think may have happened was a down power line, might have been the cause. And then with all of the other, uh, the, uh, other environmental features all kind of coming together, it was very dry, wind blowing very hard, a lot of trees and foliage around there. And so they think a down power line had one spark and it ignited just an entire wildfire that's just ravaging northern parts of California. And can you imagine just if you had been there just to see one little tiny spark shoot off? You see, this one tiny little spark that in that moment you know is what's going to start a raging fire that's going to consume tens of thousands of acres. It's an interesting idea. Something so small can have such a big influence. What's interesting is the Bible says that's true of the tongue. There's a book of the Bible in the later New Testament called the book of James, and it says such a raging wildfire can be started by such a small spark, and it's talking about the tongue, our words. Can you think about this? Words far more dangerous than a spark in a really dried out part of Northern California. Words are far more dangerous. See, words don't start wildfires. Words start wars. Think about the importance and the power of words. There is nothing that happens, nothing that happens between humans that does not involve communication at some level. Nothing happens. There's no friendship without some kind of communication, without some kind of words. There's no relationship. You can actually have a long-distance relationship where you don't see or, or, or touch or you, you don't give a hug or a handshake. You can have relationships where you have nothing but words. But if you have no words, you really don't have a relationship. Word, there's no relationship. Nothing happens between humans without words. There's no, there's no marriages won't happen without words. Friendships won't happen without words. There's nothing positive that happens without words. Any movement that's ever happened among humanity happened first with words. Any, any injustice that's been addressed happened with words. Words are so vitally important. Words are, are like the, the body of water that humans sail in. That's how abundant words are. They're, they're like the rails on which all relationships go, go trucking down. Words are so powerful around us, and I think we forget the power of words because we're using them so much. 
And that we wake up in the morning and it's like we start the engine of our mouth and we're, we forget to watch what comes out. And so words are coming flying out and we don't realize how unbelievably powerful words are. Another illustration, that same part of the book of James says, it's like words are like the rudder that steers the whole ship. That's, that's what the tongue is like. In fact, it says words are not just so powerful, words are hard to control. It says it like this, it says if you find someone that can perfectly control their words, you've found a perfect person because if they can control their, their mouth, then they'll have the strength to control any other part of themselves. Words are so unbelievably powerful that we so often forget the power of our words. And so what he says is we never came with words, but we never came with flattering words. He said, well, what do you mean by flattering words? I, I love this, um, this definition. A, a scholar defined the ancient Greek word that we're translating directly here into, into flattery. He defined it like this. Man, this is such a good description of what flattery is. Listen to this. He says, flattery is... Praise as a means of gratifying someone's vanity. Isn't that so true? Flattery just puffs up. Flattery just inflates. It doesn't build. Flattery is like a house of cards, not a house of bricks. Flattery is not just empty, but flattery, flattery has an agenda, doesn't it? Flattery is not just, um, it's not just compliments. Flattery is treacherous compliments. This is important to know about flattery. Flattery, it's not the words themselves that make it flattering words. A lot of times, it's the sincerity, the intention behind it. Think about it like this. A man could say to a woman, you are the most beautiful woman I have ever seen. That might be like really wonderful words, or they might be treacherous words, right? It's all about the sincerity behind it. That might be a sincere statement that's going to build this infatuation and this, this affection for each other, or that guy just might have an agenda. See, flattery is really important. Flattery, flattering words are empty hollow, agenda-laden words. The words themselves are not necessarily flattering. It's just depending on what the intention behind it. The absolute opposite of flattery is sincerity. And the difference between those is a powerful difference. You're like, okay, I'm still not seeing. Are, is flattering words, is that that big of a deal. Well, let me just show you. This is not the only time the Bible talks about flattery. I just want to show you one book of the Bible, the book of Proverbs. Let me read to you some of these, what the Proverbs says about flattery. Here's Proverbs 26, 28. Here's what it says. A lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. Strong words. The flatterer is constructing, devising ruin. Listen to this next one, Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Isn't that powerful? 
Man, sometimes a friend, because they love you, are going to wound you with their words. They're going to give you tough love. They're going to say what's hard to hear. But an enemy is the one that all you ever hear from them is, is compliments. They're just being supportive. They're just, they're just lifting you up. They're just trying to, to make you feel better about yourself. But that's what enemies do. Friends will faithfully wound you. Listen to what this says in Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. Listen to this last one. How about this? Proverbs 29, 5. This is a strong statement. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Scripture says a lot. The Bible says a lot about flattery. We might forget the impact of our words. We might forget how important it is to thread the needle with our words, how important it is to be, to be in control of what's coming out of our mouths, but the Bible has a lot to say about empty words, um, hollow words, words with an agenda. It has a lot to say about the danger of saying those type of words and the danger of receiving and being susceptible to those kinds of words. Paul says, we never came to you with flattery. So here's what I want to take a look at. So then, if he didn't come with flattery, what kind of words did he come with? Because there's, there's types of words that are very close to flattery, but are very distinct. One is destructive, and one is powerful. One is hollow and inflating. One is, one is full and building. One is substance to it. And I want to talk about the differences with these, and we can see he never comes with flattery. But watch what he does come with, and we can see this from this actually from 1 Thessalonians itself. Here's the first. I want you to write three things down. Here's the first one. Keep the gratitude, lose the flattery. Keep the gratitude, lose the flattery. Gratitude and flattery, not the same thing. Telling someone that you appreciate them and why you appreciate them, thanking someone for something that they're doing, that is actually a powerful thing. Those gracious a thankful words have power. Look what Paul says in, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. This is how he opens this letter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. Look what he says to the people in Thessalonica. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. That's not flattery. He says, we never came to you with flattery, but one of the first things he does is, man, we're so thankful for you. I thank God for you. That's not empty. That's life-giving. That's powerful. Let me just get real practical here for a second. There is a, a management guru. His name is Tom Peters. He's written a ton of books and journal articles about um, management and especially on having um, organizations of excellence. And here's what he said. I just thought this was so interesting. A quote from him, Tom Peters. He says, we wildly underestimate the power of the tiniest personal touch. And of all personal touches, this is so practical, I find the short, handwritten, nice job note to have the highest impact. Look at what he says. He says, this is now what our culture says as far as what's the, the best practices with leadership and management. He says, we wildly underestimate the power of, of a gracious, a gracious word like that. We, we think like those things are empty and hollow. Those aren't flattery. There's power behind that. 
I love how practically he says that the, there's a power in a handwritten note. He says later, he says it's, it's got something tangible about that. I want you to imagine, let's bring this into our spheres. If we had words of gratitude constantly working out of our mouths, imagine how that turns the tide of the sphere that you've been placed in. Instead of people walking around wondering if they're ever appreciated for what they do, spirit of critic, a critical spirit, a spirit of feeling undervalued? What if you entered into that sphere constantly breathing words of gratitude? What if at your work you made it a, 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 made it a personal mission to walk around, no matter what your position is, stopping and thanking people for what they did? Not just assuming that people just go on autopilot and just go for the rest of their lives and just work without ever needing a word of thankfulness and a word of value. What if you went in and you, and you gave them some value and said, hey, thank you for what you do? What if, think about our ministry teams. Think of all, all the, the teams that go around that serve. What if we as a church had a culture where thank you notes are just flying back and forth all the time, back and forth just to people all around. And so that when people serve here, they know. They get it from their ministry leader. They get it from people who are ministered to. The parents are sending it to the kids' ministry volunteers and the, the kids' ministry captains are sending it to their volunteers. And then over in the student ministry, it's happening. And, and across all the ministry teams, what if there's just this culture of thank you notes just happening, crisscrossing the South Florida landscape? And this was a place when someone served, they absolutely knew they were valued. There's power in those words. Those aren't empty. Those are powerful words. Let's look at this second one. I want you to write this one down. Keep the gratitude, lose the flattery. Here's the second one. Keep the honor, lose the flattery. I want to show you something else that Paul does in 1 Thessalonians towards the end. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Here's what he says. Look at this. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You know, the people that are serving among you, the people at your work, the people who are in authority over you, that's a major biblical principle to show them honor, show them appreciation. This is what flattery is. Have you ever been in a meeting at work? And all of a sudden, this real critical discussion about the boss comes out. Can you believe he does that? Man, he's the worst. He always does this, or she always does this. I can't believe she does that. And then the boss happens to walk into the room. Oh, hey, we love you. You do such a great idea. And everyone's laughing at his jokes. And says, you're the funniest ever, okay? That's flattery. Lose the flattery, but keep the honor that is a biblical principle, a respect for those and an honor, showing honor and respect for those God has put into leadership over you. It starts in the home. How about if your parents are still alive, no matter what, the scripture says honor them. Find a way to honor them. You may have to honor them and set boundaries up in your life at the same time, but there is a call to honor them. If you're a young adult, you've, you're just starting out in your career, but you're still living at home, you may be having some, some um, you may have independence, but you still need to honor those because you'll be honoring your parents for the rest of your life. If you're a student, teenager, college student, there's a biblical call to honor your parents. 
There is a call to honor those who are in authority. If you're at work, there, when you think about those who are in authority over you, man, that, that's not flattery. Lose the empty flattery because Paul in the same letter says, don't flatter, but honor those who are in authority. That is a biblical truth of showing honor to those who are in authority over you. Breathe life into those people. How about in your, your community group leaders? How about in your, your church spheres? If you're in a community group, here's my challenge to you, community group uh, members. Man, at the end of every community group season, you should probably all like write a little note to them, have a little party, give them a gift or something like that. Okay, but you should write a note and honor the, your community group leaders, honor your ministry leaders. In fact, that's going to be a really fun discussion in community group this week, okay, that your group leader is going to have to ask you about how you're going to honor them at the end of the season. Okay, we're just planted that right in there in your community groups. Honor the people that are, that are over you. This is a biblical principle. That, that's the right way that that's supposed, that's not flattery. Here's the third one, and I want to park on this one for a little bit. Here's the last one that we see in here. Keep the encouragement. Lose the flattery. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, and then 14. Check this out. This is what he says. He says, we never came with flattery, but here is what they, they came, what they encouraged them to do. Go ahead and pull it up. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Listen to what he says. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And a little later he says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Having words of encouragement, man, those aren't empty. Words of encouragement are powerful. Um, there's an a international leader and leadership writer, a guy by the name of Hans Finzel. And he has a book called The Top Ten Mistakes Leaders Make. And, one, and number three on his list is the absence of affirmation. Here's what he says. I want to read this to you. He says, organizational researchers have been telling us for years that affirmation motivates people much more than financial incentives, but we still don't get it. People thrive on praise. It does more to keep the people who work for you and with you fulfilled than fortune or fame could possibly do. Research on organizations say verbal affirmation does far more than even a financial incentive. There's a, there's a practical power between encouraging words. Paul says, we never came with flattery, but later he tells them how to encourage each other. Encur flattery is empty. Encouragement, man, that is life-giving, powerful words. Can we just talk about this in our various spheres for a second? I want you to think about in your work sphere. I want you to think about no matter what your position is, walking through that office, that station, breathing encouragement, catching and affirming people doing the right thing, breathing that encouragement in, man, that is life-giving. But can we just take a second and bring that into our family sphere for a second? Do you know how desperate the people in our family are for encouragement? Your spouse, if you're married, man, they, they need you to breathe that life into their words. Flattery is inflating, not flattery, sincere, substantial, bricklaying of encouragement. 
And if you're, if you're married and have a spouse, you are the key encourager in their life. That's a calling of yours. To build them up, not with just empty, flat, flattering words. You have the closest proximity to your spouse, so you should be the one that knows best. Yes, you know their weaknesses the best, but you know their strengths the best. Breathe that encouragement into them. If you have children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews or even children that you babysit, I love the way that one former president of Compassion International put it. His name is Wes Stafford. He said, every toddler should walk around with a sign around their neck that says, wet cement. Because the words that are breathed into them set for life. Can you think about the words of encouragement that you're breathing in to children, your children? You're building a wall there, or is it a house of cards? What are the words that are going to set in cement? Because they're going to be the words that are going to be playing through their mind for the rest of their life. The words that you give them are absolutely vital. They only hear negatives, criticisms. Maybe say, no, 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 I, I build them up. Well, are they only hearing like empty encouragements? Are they deep down, well thought out bricks, substance that are building them up? Do we realize the power of our words? Let me say, you, know, you may say, okay, th this is good. You know, all right, I got you. You know, be a little more intentional with my words. You know, like, I'll be, be nicer. Say nicer things. Let me just take a time out. Let me tell you why this is absolutely so vital. Do you know what's walking around you all the time? Empty buckets. You have empty buckets walking around constantly. You work with empty buckets. You live next door to empty buckets. You're in the same family and your extended family are a bunch of empty buckets. You've got people walking around dragging without any kind of life surging through them and one well-placed word can turn that person around. You're called to a sphere to transform it, please, please do not take lightly your words. Nothing happens between humans without words. So what's happening every day? Something powerful is happening through your words every single day. Are you taking account of those words? Something powerful is happening in your house every single day. The culture is going one way or the other in your house every single day, and it's because your words. Are they empty and hollow? Are they life-giving? Are they building up or are they inflating? 
Something positive is, or negative is happening where in your work, one way or the other, and your words are what's going to influence it. You can turn the tide with words. It's not just you could give someone a nice day. No, you could turn their perspective of life around with your words. You could change someone's whole life with their words. You are walking in with life-giving words that could change the whole culture of your extended family. There are whole forest fires raging in extended family all because of careless words, empty words, hollow words. But you have the power to turn that around. But you know, maybe one of the biggest difficulties that we have, you say, look, I want to do that. I'd love to be one of those people that's just building people up. But my problem is I don't have anything to give. I'm an empty bucket. I have nothing to give to someone else. And can I breathe into you the words that you need to hear? They're the words of Jesus. To all the empty buckets out there. He said, come to me. All you who are heavy laden and weary and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Empty, weary buckets, your Savior is calling you to himself. How could he possibly take that burden off of you? He says, uh, he says run to the source that's a wellspring of clean water. That'll bring your nourishment. How, how is he the, the spring of living water. He said to one woman, he's described, described it like this. He says, if you drink of, of any other water, you'll still be thirsty. But if you come to the well, if you drop your bucket in this well, you'll never thirst again. You say, how could Jesus quench my thirst that deeply? Because when you run to Jesus, when you look to Jesus, you have someone who never never, never, never stops loving you exactly who you are. He knows you. He saw when you were knit together in your mother's womb. He knows your strengths, your weaknesses. He knows your personality type. He knows your quirks. He knows your mess-ups. He knows, he knows your flaws and your failures. And he knows your successes, your successes. He knows your DNA. He knows your body type. He knows your gifts and skills. He knows the things that you're working on, the things you still can't get right. He knows all the sin that you're in the middle of and chained down to. And he knows your greatest moments of triumph. He knows all of those things exactly deeply who you are. He knows you and what he says to you is you can't imagine how much I love you, he says. And when you draw near to Jesus and you see him bleeding on a cross, you know he died on this cross, suffered and died for me to take away my sins so that I could spend eternity with him. He rose again from the dead in the same way we will rise if we put our faith in Jesus so we can spend eternity with God one day in heaven. That's how much he loves you. Can you draw near to him? Let Jesus fill your bucket and say, I don't know what's tapping your strength. 
what's drawing it out. But do you know I love you so much, I am not going to let anything happen to you outside of my will. And I love you so much that everything that does happen to you is happening for good. You know that this is going to have a good ending on the other side and it's not just a good ending just in some sterile environment. No, it's good for you. It's not just good for someone. It's good for you. I'm at work. This is with intentionality. I'm guiding you through this, but I'm not just letting you go through it alone. I'm with you. I've got, I'm holding your hand. I'm taking you under my wings. I'm here walking with you, knowing that every part of this, my love is just flowing over you. My forgiveness is flowing over you. He says, I love you that much. Draw near to me. Let me fill up your bucket so that you can fill those all around you. What is it that's tapping your strength today? Can you let him fill you up this morning? Can you let him, can you hear his words? They're not flattery. They're very sincere. He bled for those words. But maybe you're here and you're saying, look, I, I've heard about Jesus, but I, if I'm honest, I don't know that I've ever just squared up to Jesus and decided, okay, what do I believe about him? I know he's a great teacher, but what do I actually believe about who he is? Here's the crossroads that every human being needs to come to. What do you believe about Jesus? He's not just a teacher. He's the son of God who suffered and died on a cross to pay for our sins and rose again from the dead. And if you put your faith in Jesus, God says all of your sin will be washed away and you'll live for eternity in heaven with him one day. Maybe today you can put your faith in Jesus and find salvation. Can we just take a quiet moment of prayer? Would everyone just bow your heads and and close your eyes? If you're here today, maybe... Today is a moment where you can put your faith in Jesus and say, look, I want to believe what Jesus did for me. I want to believe that someone loves me that much. I want to believe that someone loves me enough to die for me. I want to believe that that God has forgiven me. I want to just take that step. I don't have all the answers, but I want to take that step. If that's you, then here's what I want you to do in just the quietness of this moment. You've got a crossroads. Just accept what Jesus did for you. Find salvation. Put your faith in Jesus today. In the quietness of your heart, if that's you, you want to take that step, then just make this your prayer right there in your seat. In the quietness of your heart, just quietly make these words your own. Say, Jesus, Thank you for loving me that much. Thank you for suffering for me and dying for me. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. I just want to take that step and find salvation today and know for sure that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven one day. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.